What's up, guys? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. We were off last week. Jesse was jet-setting the Swiss Alps or whatever it was he was doing. Where were you last week when you were letting down <laughs> the tens of thousands of listeners of this podcast that every week show up on Tuesday morning, look at their phone, and expect to see a Clear the Cash episode tucked neatly right under the Christmas tree, or in our case, maybe the menorah, and they're they're looking for, you know, just a surprise on Tuesday morning. What were you up to? I, after uh, that intro, I, I expect uh, a whole bunch of middle finger emojis in my DMs on Twitter and Instagram um, moving forward for the rest of this week. But um, I was in South Florida, and um, that may be a contra- somewhat controversial place to to go down to now, just because of the um, the the mask wearing or lack thereof, and in, in certain parts of of that state. Um, but we, we we played it safe. We tried to you know we try to stay away from South Beach just because we even saw some news segment when we were um, when we were down there and. Uh, like behind the the newswoman, there were just like there must have been like two hundred plus people in a club, and not one person was wearing a mask, including the bodyguard. So yeah, we we wanted to stay the hell out of South Beach. Um, I, I'm sorry for the listeners that are in South Beach. I apologize for for calling out South Beach on their uh, on the mask wearing, but um, yeah, that was a little scary for us. So uh, we stayed a little bit of outside of Miami and. Went to the keys for a couple of days. So it was it was nice. It's it's a nice, it's a this is like the perfect time of year to go down there if if anyone's ever interested. But uh yeah, COVID makes it a little a little scary. But um but Nate, uh, you know, with with your intro going into the show, you forgot to you forgot to leave off your uh, it, you you left off your your new title as celebrity card expert. Oh and this. The the reason I'm saying this is because you actually had somewhat of an impromptu news spot uh, within the last week or so. That's, can you uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Obviously, Nate Liss, uh, you know, news spot uh, extraordinaire. You, you guys can find me all over the news all the time. No, there was uh, there was a local newscaster uh, named Catherine Cook uh, out here in the Portland, Oregon area. And she was she was searching for a a card enthusiast that had some knowledge about the the card world. In um, I didn't even know that she had put this call out to the universe. My buddy tweeted at her and said, "At an outraged Jew is your guy." And I'm sure as soon as she saw my Twitter handle, she's like, "Well, this won't work." And then I responded <laughs> back to him with her in the tweet, and I said, "I'm your man." And so she shot me an email. Uh, we went back and forth and she said, hey, would you be available as soon as today to do a Skype interview? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll do it. I mean, I'll make my, I'll, you know, make myself available, Catherine Cook. And so uh, 
I was, I didn't know what time it was going to go down yet. Like it wasn't very official. So got done with my work day, got home, was doing a workout, checked back in my email and I'm seven minutes into my workout when I get an email that says, Hey, can you get on a zoom call in like five minutes? And so I'm like, shit. So I told you this on my, on my iWatch, I, I always set my workout. So I have to end the workout early and I submit a seven minute workout. It's like five calories burned. All my friends are texting me. They're like, you're an embarrassment. You should be ashamed of yourself. You can't hack it anymore. And I'm like, okay, I don't have time for this. So, you know, I haven't even really broke a sweat. So I jump on the Zoom call. It's me. It's her. There's another guest named Brad on there. Um, I don't really know what his experience per se was in the card game. I think he just had cards. And uh, so, yeah, we were talking. It was really funny because this guy was talking about how he – he PCs cards. Like he has all these cards that he wants to hold on to long term. And she's like, Well, what are your thoughts, Nate? I'm like, I really just flip cards, Catherine. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really a long term guy. She's like, Is there anything that you would hold, you know, long term or forever? And I, you know, I named a couple items, Jordan cards or whatever. But I'm like, not really. I'm like, I'm more or less in the market right now to flip cards. Of course, that's when I mentioned the show Clear the Cash. And it got a little, got a little notoriety on there. So uh, yeah, man, it was a little radio spot, little TV spot. If people want to see it, uh, hit me up. I'll tweet it again, but it's out there. You, you basically, uh, to, to, to put a, a little cap on the story, you basically ate a piece of celery when you were working out and that's how you burned five calories when you're working out. You can, you can burn, I mean, I don't even know yeah, how it's you can, possible. You can burn it's, calories eating celery. So Yeah. It's super embarrassing. Uh, I just, it's funny because, you know, we, for those of you guys that have iWatches that do the workout function of them, it's, it's fun to have your friends intertwined, push each other. But yeah, when I, when I submit a seven minute workout, they're like, dude, this is pathetic. And I'm like, yes, it is pathetic. But anyways, got an opportunity to get on the news. So clear the cash has gone, you know, at least regional. Uh, I thought we were global. So that might actually (laughs) been a step back when I went on the news, but I actually went on the news because PWCC had an auction. And for those of you that don't know, PWCC is actually on my side of the universe. Um, it's about 40 minutes south of where I currently live, maybe a little more than that. Uh, it's in Tigard, Oregon. And they were the ones that had an auction where a LeBron James card sold for $5.2 million. And Jesse, you could probably speak even more on this subject, but because of the price of that card, which I believe set a new record, um, they really wanted to do a news story. That's when they brought us in, and that's where we get to Jesse Bach. So the reason why this sale is such a big deal is because I'm sure once or twice I've mentioned on the show where um, there was there's a buyer. Uh, I think he's like an entrepreneur. He he owns um, or he co-owns Alt Investments out in San Francisco. Um, his name's Lior Avidar. Him and his uh, group at Alt, they bought a LeBron James exquisite, uh, upper deck exquisite RPA, numbered out of 23. Um, that was a BGS 9.5 for $1.8 million back in July of 2020. The card that sold from PWCC in April of 2021 for $5.2 million was the same card in a BGS nine. So actually a half, a half point of grading below the 9.5. So 
So we're talking about $1.8 million to $5.2 million for a card that's that's even that's of a lesser grade than the 9.5. The reason that this is a big deal is because what there's many reasons why this is a big deal. So this is the most valuable basketball card transaction of all time uh, going over $5 million. It's I think it tied. We, we talked about the Mickey Mantle purchase, the Mickey Mantle tops PSA nine uh, rookie buy a couple months ago. I think this actually ties that um, in dollar value. And um, this is and the biggest part of the story is it's a BGS nine. So can you imagine what the BGS nine point five would sell for if it were to go up on on auction today? It would that. So we're talking about um, a, a seven figure card here. The BGS 9.5 is at at the very least an eight figure card. I mean, it's well it's well within eight figures. I don't know if it'll go for 10 million, 15 million. I have no idea. But um, Lior and his group they were called crazy at the time for spending almost two million dollars on a basketball card, even when the market was as hot as it was back then. But they're looking like geniuses right now. I don't know if they had they. I, I'm sh- more than sure they had some sort of financial reasons. For buying that card, I know they're big collectors themselves. Him and and his members of, of the, of the investment group. But um, they're looking. It sounds like they're kind of having the last laugh right now. And another big thing, another huge implication about um, the impact, the true impact that the sale has, is people are there. There are tons of people out there that are panic selling a bunch of a, a large portion of their collection just because prices are going down and people are thinking we're in kind of a bare portion of the market right now when we're seeing all-time high sales making like making headlines and pe- and people aren't even batting an eye that much so honestly i i think sales like this still give me a ton of confidence in the longevity of this market of this industry and I, this, I mean, this kind of goes to show you that uh, super rare stuff and and cards that are really hard to to get a hold of, uh, not just pricey, but even if like whatever, even if something goes up 10x, 20x, 50x, there's still going to be true collectors out there that are really hesitant to to want to cash out right now. But when those cards do become available, we're still going to keep seeing all time highs like this left and right. So, um, I don't think people should be panicking about prices dropping. If anything, this is probably one of the best buying opportunities for a ton of sports that we've, that we've seen probably in the last year, year and a half or so. So, um, it kind of just, I don't know, a sale like this kind of, uh, gives me more confidence that there, there's more to come in, in, the card industry and that prices are while base and silver and refractor cards are going down in price right now. Even some goat cards are going down in price right now. We're only, we're, we're just seeing a, the start of a perfect buy opportunity right now. Yeah. What a, what a win on, you know, behalf of these guys. I mean, you're right. It takes a, a big set of stones to go out there and spend that kind of money in the first place and to basically, double that money on this sale. <clears throat> and it really helped PWCC as well. I mean, they're, they are really finding 
their way to the top of this market because you've got golden auctions and PWCC having a card sale like this certainly you know, solidifies them as as one of the very top if they weren't already. I mean, to now host the largest basketball sale of all time is pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, on that on that radio interview or that news interview that I did, Jesse, uh, she asked me if I was surprised by the sale. Honestly, like doing this show and talking cards all the time, I'm not. Like I'm starting to become normalized to the idea that a card selling for over a million dollars is not a strange thing. I mean, even in a market that you might think is bare or, you know, lesser cards are dropping in value a little bit, I think you're always going to have these big time collectors that are willing to spend significant amount, you know, amounts of money. And just like Rob said, and we go back to this all the time, I mean, the cards that are ultra rare, the cards that are serial numbered, the cards that have low population counts, they're not going anywhere. And I mean, here's a question. This card that sold for $5.2 million, is that its ceiling? I don't think so. No. Um, I, I, I'm i not going to give a hot take, and I'm not going to say this is a $100 million card in the future, which, I, I mean, anything's possible, but... I, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say you're not going to give a hot take and then make some off-the-cuff $100 million <laughs> card comment. Do you think it's a $100 million card? Um, by the end of our lifetimes, I, you never know. It could it could be. Uh, like, And then what's the 9.5 going to be worth? Is that going to be close to a billion? I don't know. Like. I, I think once we get, once we start hitting nine figures, that's when it, um, or eight to nine figures, that's when it starts getting a little uh, uh, hyperbolic. So, um, but I, I don't think it's the ceiling. I, I mean, I don't know how long, you know, while we have this bull run in cards, I don't know how long people are going to be, tr you know, just looking to hold during this time because i i know like while i say there are collectors of super rare cards um i i think people there are savvy enough people that see that you know i got this card for you know a thousand dollars five years ago and I, and i just saw a copy sell for 50 grand or i saw a copy sell for six figures there are going to be people that are going to be you know willing to cash out right now but um for something like the LeBron Exquisite RPA BGS9, I don't think that's going to be the ceiling just because of how iconic Exquisite is in general. And this is like the first year of Exquisite. So um, I personally think like first year Exquisite is first year tops Chrome on steroids uh, with how iconic it is. So yeah, I think... I mean, maybe one day, if not already, one day people are going to start seeing 03 exquisite like they're, like they're looking at 2012 prism in basketball right now. So it's, yeah, I mean, if not, if not with more, I, I mean, like with way more, uh, I don't know, uh, juice, like it, it's, it's, it's like, it's like prism, it's prism on steroids essentially. So, um, this set is a big deal. And, and when, um, I, I've, I've heard interviews of even some of the designers of this set, um, who worked for upper deck at the time, uh, people thought they were crazy for releasing a set like this, um, back then. And it looks like they're the ones that are laughing now. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think $5 million is the ceiling. I, I think we're, I, I think once, once we start seeing cards, hitting 10 million plus we're going to start we're going to start seeing more and more fireworks wow look that's that's from your lips to you know to our ears okay i mean that 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 makes it 
absolute fact. It's gospel at this point. So I trust what you say. Look, Jesse, we missed last week. And because of that, I put a post out on Patreon and said, look, to the patrons, we would love to have an episode where we can answer some of your questions because, as always, the patrons get to move to the front of the line, patreon.com forward slash I'm Outrage. But before we get to the patron questions, Jesse, uh, I should remind people that this episode is brought to them and all the other listeners by Underdog. Uh, the Underworld loves Underdog, Jesse. I don't know if you know this because it's the most versatile fantasy football platform, period. The desktop view is clean and easy. The mobile experience is second to none. Leagues will fill quickly with the widest variety of stakes. In fact, Underdog's massive best ball contest with a grand prize of $1 million is happening right now. Use the code UNDERWORLD, and unlike other sites, you can actually win this one, Jesse. That's great news. That's great news for everybody. Go jump in it. Underdog has uh, done some great things for the Underworld. Uh, We're appreciative, so they are the show sponsor. With that said, Jesse, let's get to some of the the front-of-the-line questions from the patrons. Reed had quite a few. Uh, Rory had one. Seb had one. So we'll just bang through some of these questions here. Some of these were really good. Um, Some of them are taking us down a windy road to some subjects that we don't touch on too much, maybe some other sports that we don't touch on too much. We shared a little moment off air about our favorite MMA fighters and realized that they have a couple great battles with one another. So that was good to find out. Um, So let's just start right here at the top uh, from Reed. Is there an art to buying a card with a PSA 9 grade or BGS 9 grade? Some cost a quarter or a third of a 10, but... They haven't had the historical, or they haven't had, you know, they haven't historically been around half. What does that say? Am I reading this but, wrong? But what does ha- this even say? But haven't they historically been around one half before the boom? So based, so Reed's saying, haven't PSA nines been close to half of the cost of a ten, as opposed to now where they're a quarter or a third the cost. I, you know what I don't understand is I, I don't know why I have trouble with this, but the live read is just no big deal at all. <laughs> live read comes off smooth. <laughs> Get this question. It's because we put the we put the fractions in there. It rather than using the words. Here's the thing before we answer this question. Are you the type of person that uses like when you're when you're writing out you know a, a full sentence and you have numbers in there? Do you use the number as a digit or do you write it out as a word? Uh, usually a digit. I I gotta write it out as a digit. I don't know. Sometimes like I I don't know. I'll just have like a random slip of the tongue or like fourteenth will look weird or something. Like so, I just I I gotta, yeah. I got I gotta uh, write it as a digit. Um, so for the most part, you you'll have to look at trends um and sales data like pr- probably more advanced sales data because it, it's really hard to map everything just by using ebay sales data um alone off of ebay like just the for the last three months so uh for cards for nines it's usually a nine will follow the trajectory of a 10 i'm not saying a nine will go to the same price as a 10 but let's say historically um more or less for the most part a nine will go for a third of the price of a 10 but if a 10 if a 10 two x's like usually we'll we'll see tens rise before the nines do so there's still going to be an opportunity to buy in on the nines so if the football season's coming up and um the kyler murray select silver prism psa 10 it, it, it if it's on its way to 2xing going into the preseason 
and the nine is staying still. So the nine all of a sudden is closer to like four to five times or four to five times cheaper than the 10 is. That's probably a good time to buy the nine. Um, if it's historically been a third so that that's a decent way to to make your money honestly people have been asking me left and right this off season if nine if there's opportunity to make money in nines hell yeah there's opportunity to make money in nines i i've seen i've bought nines myself of of uh, i've been getting into more and more skill position players than quarterbacks just because i think they're they're i, I undervalued is like a it's it's almost comical how Often it's overused in the hobby, but uh, I, I will say it's crazy how much cheaper great skill position players like I'm, I'm talking like I, I don't I, I, I consider Michael Thomas great. So I like the, the fact that his prism silver PSA nines are going for cheaper than insert X quarterback. I don't know. Drew Locke last year. The fact that his prison PSA nines are going for way cheaper than a Drew Lock prison PSA nine, like that's that's a little crazy to me. It's like I don't know. I like this. I'm I'm going down a whole tangent here, but I think um, I think quarterbacks that truly aren't proven and don't have um, legitimately great prospects, like I think that they can be so damn overpriced, especially like when being compared to truly like borderline elite skill position players. Um, but yeah, there's, there is money to be made buying nines. And, uh, the second part of this question, um, I, I can't remember if you read it or not and said, what factors should we pay attention to such as population count? I, so I think you should pay attention to pop counts, um, for PSA nines, but you have to be able to read pop counts. You have to be able to, kind of decipher what the pop count actually means. And I, I have a great example of this, of, of something that I just accidentally stumbled on, stumbled upon today. So I found a 2007 Topps Finest Calvin Johnson base PSA 9. Uh, and in the in the title of, of the listing on eBay, it said Pop 37. And even I'm thinking to myself like, whoa, okay, that's actually a pretty pretty low pop but i i own the psa 10 copy of that card and i if i own if i own the card i try to at least keep the pop count in my mind of of how truly rare or scarce this card is and i i knew uh i'm i'm like okay i i know the psa 10 pop count is at it's at least 100 150 and when i look it up it's i think 217 while there are 37 PSA nines. So if it's a case like that, if, if, if you're talking about a card where there are like over five times the amount of tens as there are nines, it's honest to God, it might not even be worth buying the nine. Um, because I think people like people in this hobby are getting smarter, especially the investors and flippers. Um, so I don't even think they're going to be looking at nines unless if, unless if the, all, all of a sudden the PSA 10 goes from $250 to a thousand dollars, then people might start looking at the nines. But even then, I don't even think they're going to, I don't even think the nine is going to four X like the, maybe it'll double, but, um, you have to be able to, to read pop counts, um, when you look them up and, um, and kind of be careful with with uh, eBay listings of if especially if it's just like a base card it's one thing if it's serial numbered 
But if it's just a base card and if it's below a 10 or even, even some 10s, uh, sellers can be super misleading with a seemingly low pop count. And like, I, I'm, I'm telling you, he even got me with this listing like, oh, wow, like that's 37. That's a, that's a pretty low pop count for a PSA 9. But um, if, if we're talking the, the 10 is eight times more plentiful than the 9, it's not even worth looking at the 9. Do you look at people that are interested in buying nines the same way you do with the guy that got priced out of prism then priced out of select then came down to optic i mean do you look at that like the guy that was priced out of 10 priced out of nine five so here he is coming to nine because he wants this card but he doesn't want to pay you know nine and a half and ten prices or is it just a totally different animal i think if anything we're looking at people that are getting priced out of tens i'm seeing more people go to nines than they are to the next set or like, I guess anything besides besides the big three. The big three being Prism, Select, and Optic. So any like people would rather get the Select Nine or the Prism Nine or the Optic Nine than going to a Donruss Ten. So um, and and PSA Nines they're pretty they're well respected in the hobby amongst collectors and even investors, um, just because of you know. BGS has been getting constantly shit on the last year or so with uh, we, with some of the, the the PR that they've that they've been putting out or or haven't been putting out. Um, so people, if anything, there there are more and more people that are just um, strictly investing their money into PSA cards, even if it's a nine, um, just because they they're trying to get BGS uh, out of their collection but if anything I'm doing the opposite I'm scooping up more BGS um, just because <laughs> like we've, we've had this conversation before just the BGS 9.5 uh, price discrepancy with PSA 10s is it's still there it still exists um, and uh, I think BGS will I, I think they'll they'll come around they'll um, they'll fix some of their issues and um, yeah I, I I think they'll be good moving forward but but PSA nines are very well respected, uh, nonetheless. Jesse, you shouldn't have to cower or feel nervous when you make the semi question slash statement of, I think Michael Thomas is elite. Anybody who doesn't think that Michael Thomas is elite should be hit across the head with a frying pan. I, all right. I, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll preface what I meant to say. Maybe, maybe my wording wasn't there, but in terms of all-time great players, like the, like full transparency, the the wide receivers that I've been PCing lately are that I probably will continue to PC are Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, um, with maybe a couple a couple of other wide receivers in there. I do prospect here and there, but um, I I think Michael Thomas, as long as he has at least competent quarterback play. He like are are we are we saying he doesn't have like a DeAndre Hopkins ceiling? Like I I mean I don't know. I think I think Hopkins is a surefire Hall of Famer. So um I mean who's to say that Michael Thomas isn't there or won't be there? I don't that that's just my opinion. That's why I didn't quite go f- like all in and that's why I was a little bit hesitant, but I but I think he can get there. So I don't know. This this is like a whole other conversation, but um, just, uh, well, just going behind my, uh, my thought process. 
we know the big difference is that Hopkins has obviously played longer, um, but they've had a really relative target share throughout their career. They're both obviously target monsters. I mean, the last you know mostly complete season that Michael Thomas played, the, the guy had 149 catches for 725 yards. I mean that that's not an accident coming off of two previous you know 1,200 plus yard seasons, 100 plus yard catches. I mean. Father time will really be what goes most difficult, you know, uh, for Michael Thomas. It's going to be his biggest struggle. He's going to be 27 going on 28 now, I think, somewhere in that range. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes for him. I I mean, he is elite. There's no doubt about it. A 28-year-old receiver, he's elite. Is he a Hall of Famer? I mean, yet to be determined. If he can string together, you know, three more really solid seasons, uh, it's going to be hard to leave him out. But uh his production's undeniable. But with that being said, he's an ultra buy low. We talk about it all the time. He's a guy that, you know, Drew Brees retires. Who's going to be his quarterback? Is Michael Thomas going to continue to see the targets that he saw in the past? Is there going to be rapport? I, I think it doesn't matter with Michael Thomas. Like, I think the targets are automatic. Uh, it was proven through the draft. I think no matter who the quarterback is, he'll be the focal point of the passing game. So he's, he's the ultra buy low. His stuff isn't cheap because... As you've stated, we know he's elite, and we know that he can pop at any moment. But with that being said, there are a few wide receivers better than him that have proven themselves as much as he has that are actually down in price like he is right now. So don't ever, ever feel afraid to say that, Jesse. You speak your heart on this show. That's what we do on here. We tell truths. You know okay? what? You know what? I'm going to give a free play because you you inspired me with 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 that side rant to to give this play. Michael yes. Thomas's and it it, it intertwines the PSA nine conversation. His Prism Silver rookie PSA nine is going for around eighty to ninety dollars right now, and that card was a two hundred dollar card last off season. So something to think about. There you go, there you go. Automatic jump. I'm staring at one right now as we speak. I'm not going to say it on air, but I am going to send it to you because I think I want to make a purchase. With that being said. <laughs> Jesse, we got another question. It says, how interested are you in the upcoming UFC, UFC Prism release? I think it's since been released. I think it has already. I might be wrong I, about I this. I think it has. Uh, I've got some friends that are big time into MMA. You and I were talking about this off air. It's been a very long time since I've watched any actual UFC fights. So my question to you, just like it's posed here, are you interested in anything UFC when it comes to cards? Uh, not really, especially when a product comes out and there's a bunch of hype around it. I generally try to avoid it altogether just because I know there's, um, I don't want to call it FOMO buying, uh, but I, I guess hype is just the right word. I, I try to, I try to avoid when prices are kind of, you know, going insane and I see people posting, you know, similar ish stuff left and right. So I, I would personally stay away um i mean if, if it's for your collection and you don't really care like more power to you that's the, like that's the stuff that you should be that you should be looking for but um it like we were talking pre-show about uh like if if we were to collect anybody who would it be and um i have looked at some uh some cards of my favorite uh ufc fighter of all time who i, I think he's the goat people are gonna People are probably going to be hunting me down in my DMs for this, but um, I think GSP is the GOAT, 
and he's my favorite fighter of all time and i respect the hell out of that dude and um i've i've honestly tried to buy a couple of his uh rookie cards for my pc but they've already gone up so so crazy in price to the point where you know i don't i I don't necessarily feel comfortable no matter how rare they are um spending four figures on a ufc card i could be I, i mean we'll see how the market is looking like a year five years from now and maybe i could be laughed out of the room but for saying this but um yeah, I mean, I, I would I would personally try to keep my portfolio away from that if it's if you're looking to be making money. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up GSP because as we talked about, my favorite fighter of all time was BJ Penn. Again, as somebody that was heavily into the world of jiu-jitsu, I always looked up to this guy as you know one of the most talented black belts to ever enter the cage, whether people know that or not. I mean, BJ Penn, they're... If you're not into jiu-jitsu or you don't know the martial arts thing, there are levels to the black belt, and the level that BJ Penn was at was beyond what a typical black belt that steps into the cage is. And so I always fell in love with him, but GSP, man, was just his kryptonite. GSP would constantly put him on his back and keep him there. And I remember, um, so GSP was, was being cornered and trained by John Donaher at the time, and he talked about how one of their tactics, because BJ loved to box, was to obviously to continue to taking him down, but make it work for BJ to get up, like continue to push with his arms and get up because they thought it would fatigue his arms so he couldn't box as well. Uh-huh. And I remember hearing that when it was done when it was over, and I was like, that's so outside the box. Like that's just such a crazy thing to think because BJ was so hard to take down. But the GSP man, one of the greatest of all time, no doubt about it. Um Okay, so we're both kind of in the same boat. UFC is cool. It's not really our cup of tea, but with that being said, I'm seeing cards sell for some pretty impressive price tags. So there's clearly a market for it. Um, another question, what attributes should we look for when we're looking at vintage cards? Pop counts. Um, pop counts is number one because, uh, so the, the, what I consider vintage is eighties and before, so um, just because we didn't see s- some of like the the fierce competition between card companies until the 90s, where I, I think competition is like the best thing in cards, just because that's when that's when the the designers behind the cards, just their creative juices are flowing and they have competition. They have to, you know, um, they have to put out some nice looking stuff. And uh, th- that's I mean, that's kind of what made 90s parallels and inserts such a big deal even to this day. Um, but in the eighties and before, uh, cards were more or less pretty plain. Um, they just kind of had a a picture of the guy, like just their face on the card. And that was, it Maybe like a little bit of gameplay, like game action. Um, so if, if you're looking at this from like a design perspective, like there, there's no real great, like vintage card in my opinion, but, um, look at pop counts. Uh, obviously look at, you have to look at the uh, athlete's resume. If it's somebody like Jerry Rice, hell yeah, his, his cards are going to hold value with time, um, and only go up with time. But, uh, it's honestly not a bad idea. We've already seen it with guys like Tiger Woods. We've seen it with Michael Jordan. Um, just try to keep an eye out for what documentaries are coming out within the next calendar year or so. Um, just because like we saw Tiger Woods cards, like five to 10 X, 
just because of that one HBO, what, what was it like a two part series or a three part series yep. or something? Something like that. Um, yeah. Like you, I mean, if you knew by like, I don't know, four months out that that documentary was coming out, like that's when you should have been buying Tiger Woods. Like the people that were FOMO buying like uh, the day before the documentary, like those are the, those those were the buyers that are probably in the wrong for quite a while. I don't know if it's going to be quite the ceiling of Tiger Woods just because of how great Grady was in a sport, but um, for a while you're, you're, you're going to be holding the bag there. So um, yeah, just take a look and see, basically just try to see how relevant that athlete is going to, or former athletes going to be, are they going to have um, a huge documentary or, or something else, hall of fame induction, whatever, just have them at least be show some sort of relevancy, um, among like the sports community as, as long as something is upcoming within the next six months to a year, um, you might want to be looking at guys like that. It's a good call. I mean, that that's good advice for people. Definitely, you know, check the calendars. If there's big things coming up, a documentary is a great example of how card prices can spike. Let us, uh, peek, let us peek just a little bit into the, uh, into the, the deep, dark world that is Jesse's PC collection. Is there anything in there that might surprise people? Somebody in the audience would be shocked. Something that you have, like a Looney Tunes card maybe, or like a, can't think of anything else more obscure, like a, like a movie. Okay. I don't, I don't have any Looney Tunes cards, but I have been looking at uh, probably like a couple times a week. I'll see if there's a decent Michael Jordan Space Jam card. By either t- I think it, I think it's by Upper Deck. Um, those cards just look sick, and I and like Space Jam is my favorite sports movie of all time. So um, I don't have any of them, but but uh, if if anybody has them in very good condition, like PSA nine or above, I'm I'm I, I would be interested. Um, something that would surprise people. Um, they'd probably come from basketball. All right. So I, I PC, I, I don't know how much of a surprise it is, but we just like never talk about him. Um, I PC bam out of bio from the Miami heat. Um, I think bam has Jokic potential. Um, that's kind I mean, he's kind of like, it's kind of a mix between a PC and a more long-term investment. Um, but if, if you see this guy play, um, I think he like he's basically I in the game I think he's the next best big man passer to Jokic. Um if he just has a more consistent three-point shot, which I think he certainly can just because his his um free throw percentage is already pretty damn good for a big man. Um I think I think it's not out of the question that he can win an MVP down the road. So I have I have a pretty uh, decent enough Bam Adebayo collection and um, and another kind of side PC. I, although I don't, it's not very big, but um, uh, Anthony Hardaway and I, I know there are there are diehard collectors of his to this day, just because of the potential that he had in the '90s. But I'm going to be honest, that was a little bit before my time. I was born in 1993, so. Um, I didn't quite appreciate basketball when I was like three or four years old, um, as much as I did when I was, you know, maybe seven or eight, uh, around the time that like Iverson was big in Philly and Jordan decided to come back to the wizards. So that was kind of more of my heyday, but, 
Um, my brother kind of turned me on to, to Anthony Hardaway when I was, when I was starting to get into basketball, when I was, when Iverson was a God to me, um, in, in Philly in the late nineties and early two thousands. And I, and, you know, just looking at, looking back at some old game footage, um, some old all-star games in the late nineties, um, seeing how good Penny, Penny was back then. Um, I mean, he really had like, he, at one point people, like there it was a legitimate debate like who was going to be the better player at the end of their career mj or penny hardaway uh like that was like a legitimate discussion back in the 90s and my brother actually had this um he had this uh i guess ongoing debate with his best friend who was the biggest michael jordan fan you could think of my brother was the biggest anthony hardaway fan you could think of and they would just go at each other when they were when they were teenagers so um maybe just kind of uh uh, getting turned on to Penny um, by my brother just I don't know kind of made me want to explore uh, some of his cards so I, I do have a, a, a small but decent uh, Penny Hardaway collection as well you may oh man I, I was just thinking about this so there was this card and I actually just found it as we're talking uh, boy they only want five bucks for it that's hilarious maybe this is a little different it was basically a card where they superimposed uh, Penny Hardaway and Chris Webber on the Orlando Magic because they thought that Chris Webber was going to go to the Magic, but he ended up getting drafted to the Kings. Is this a licensed so, card? Yeah, I think it is a licensed card. I got to look. It's it's in a, a buried away collection because like everybody else, I bought cards in the 90s. Like I've got a Shaq book full of Shaq rookies. All they would do is open up, find a rookie, stuff it in a sleeve. So, um, But yeah, I've got this one card. I got to find an example of it. This isn't it that I'm looking at now, but I know they're both in Orlando Magic jerseys, but... It never happened, right? Like Weber never ended up there. Right. I think there was rumors that he wanted a trade out or something. I can't remember what the story was. But anyways, I digress. Um, Penny Hardaway, man, that that was an iconic name. He had one of the most amazing shoes of all time in grade school. I wanted them. They were the foam, the foam posits. posits. They were yeah. like teal. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I still, every time, I can't help myself. The adult in me that's still got this kid running through my soul. I'll see a guy wearing a pair of foam posits. I'll just let them know. I'll be like, man, those are amazing shoes. And I'll be like, thanks, bro. They just know. I mean, that's, those are iconic yeah, shoes. Just like sick. Iverson had the same set. Yeah. Yep. But um, anyways, let's, let's roll on here. So Rory has a question um, and it's in regards to the national treasure NFL release. His question was, was there anything notable or surprising about this release? I personally I don't know much about it yet. I really haven't dug in to the uh, National Treasure set. I don't know if you know anything about it, but feel free. Um, I I haven't dug too deep into NT for this year. Um, I haven't heard anything super, super surprising besides uh, the fact that a box probably goes for $5,000 uh, retail or on the secondary market, um, which is a little crazy for, for football. But um, just kind of a... Uh, maybe maybe a little bit of an FYI for for RPA collectors or or people that are um, that are buying 2020 RPAs of, of any type uh, because of co so COVID kind of I think personally I think COVID kind of killed the RPA for 2020 I, I can't speak for basketball but I know for football it did just because if you look if you look on the back of um, a random uh, of like a 2020 patch card or a 2020 um, RPA, you'll see in small writing around where, you know, Panini, 
uh, guarantees the autograph that the autograph was truly signed by the player or the sticker was signed by the player. If you look at the patch, it'll say uh, this this patch or this cut of this patch is not from any particular event or game. So from what it sounds like, Panini maybe just cut up a random patch that the player never even touched, might not have even been in the same state as that jersey or that that whatever gear. Um, and they put it on the card next to the guy's signature. So I'm sure there are a ton of people listening to this that don't really care um, as long as the patch looks sick um, and the autograph looks nice. Like they, they don't really care. The, the card has value and, and people are still paying a good amount of money for these cards. But for me personally, from a from a preference, from from like a self preference perspective, um, I'm really big on the patches at least being player worn or saying that they're player worn from whatever event. It doesn't doesn't have to be game worn because game worn uh, patch cards and RPAs are just so damn hard to find today. but I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of big on patches. Like as, as when I was a kid, like my PC was patch cards. Like I I didn't care if I never saw the player play like ever. Like I, I remember one time in a at a card store when I was like 12, I bought a Sean Elliott uh, patch card for like four dollars from a card store, and I I didn't see I had never seen Sean Elliott play in per, in like in person on TV whatever. Like and he was even he was a little bit before my time um, from the Spurs. So. But I just, I just had, and there were more game worn patch cards back then. So the, I just had more of an appreciation for patch cards, and I still kind of do today. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, honestly, personally, I, I might myself, I'm probably gonna stay away from a, a good amount of 2020 uh, RPAs. It's not to say that Panini won't produce any that are that aren't game worn or aren't event worn, but um i for the most part i i think they're just gonna you know kind of cut up a random piece of a jersey and slap it on the card you hate to hear it you just hate to hear it guys last question comes from seb um and his is a a fantasy football slash real on-field performance question he says hey guys here's a question for you i hope it's a relevant one i do too how does fantasy football performances influence the card's value compared to on-field performances is there a difference? You know, we often hear be ready to sell player Z after a multi TD game, but statistically speaking, is a two D is a two TD game with low yardage gains and catches from player X going to give more value to his cards than a 151 yard receiving game with no TDs from player Y? All right. So let's say let's say the year is 2007. And cards are booming just as much now as they were as like, let's say we're seeing the boom that we're seeing today. We saw back in 2007. Do you think a Mike Tolbert three yard, three touchdown game would have any relevance with cards in the intermediate term? I mean, I would assume so just because there's people out there that that don't know any better. But you tell me. Yes, that's that's probably the best way to put it. Um, so the more the more educated investor or even flipper, um, they'll they'll kind of have an idea of what 
of what players are and how they perform on the, like whether it be in real life or in fantasy. Um, so I, I think with players that are kind of closer to all time greats, like he, he mentioned Deandre Hopkins as an example. I, I don't think it's really going to matter as much for them. Like, honestly, it, it matters more how relevant, how, how cardboard relevant the player actually is. So I know by the end of DeAndre Hopkins career, there are going to be collectors. There are already collectors of DeAndre Hopkins out there. Um, he could retire tomorrow and there are still going to be people collecting him. Um, if it's somebody, I don't know, somebody more obscure, maybe like, a Cooper cup or something like he's still like Cooper cup is, is a damn good, like wide receiver in the league, but I just don't know how truly relevant he's going to be over, over a longer period of time. Like, yeah, you'll have your windows to sell, but you you gotta have, you like, you already need to have the picture of the card on your phone ready to go. And you have to be ready to sell at a moment's notice because I've done this myself personally. I, I've sold guys after four touchdown games last year. Um, just because I knew that was like this, there's probably not going to be this many, uh, perfect sell opportunities in the short term. So I might as well just list it now. Um, and we were, we were talking pre show about somebody like Marvin Jones has a four touchdown game every three years, Like he's probably, he's probably had like two or two or three, four touchdown games in his career already. Um, I don't know how relevant he's going to be, how relevant Marvin Jones is going to be five years from now, or how many people are, are even going to remember that he played in the league. So it's, it's kind of, you have to be really cognizant about who the player actually is in addition to their performances. So you, there has to be some level of relevance and cardboard for the player. Um, whether it be like I'm talking both fantasy and real life performance. This is where you take a group of listeners on this network that are very fantasy focused. They understand fantasy football. They understand it from a dynasty standpoint. You take all the things that you've learned and you reapply that to the world of cards. You listen to guys like Jesse to get insight on what to buy, what not to buy, what's overspending, what's underspending. Because if you can take your skills in Dynasty where you learn to value players, where you learn to sell high on a guy, sell low on a guy, you know, buy guys before they pop, you do the same thing with cards. But you use your experience in, in the world of football to help you take advantage of that. And you brought up Marvin Jones, and I made this joke off air. Marvin Jones could have a 100-yard game all 17 games next season. Now, the uneducated buyer is going to buy up a 31-year-old Marvin Jones card because they see this guy going off. But to you, the fantasy football player, you know this guy hasn't done anything his whole career, and there's nothing beyond this season, so you're not buying him. I'm not buying him. None of the listeners of this show are buying him. But the uneducated consumer out there is certainly buying them. So I would say, exactly like you said, I would say that on-field performances certainly can be a boon, and it can be an instantaneous boon. You had Chase Claypool, who, is, who you were talking about with the four-touchdown game. You have this massive game, three receiving touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. This, And in his case, he's a young guy with a lot of upside, could be an alpha in this offense. So the value you're going to get from that card is going to be significantly more than the potential pop that we might get from Marvin Jones. 
But then again, you can always list a card for a lot more. And if that uneducated buyer comes through and wants to make you an offer, a best offer or something, you might be able to sell for more than you ever thought originally. So your stance is if if it's a player that you you bought up early or a, pl- a player you plan to flip, if they have a significant game, like how significant of a game for you would it be for them to flip? Because Chase Claypool's game came pretty early last season. So if somebody's looking to flip Michael Thomas, let's say, at what point in the year would you flip Michael Thomas? Two touchdown games are not uh, out of the question for Michael Thomas, and I don't think fantasy gamers... I mean, obviously, if he's on your team, you're excited, but it doesn't really surprise you. Um, But for somebody like him, I think a, I don't know, like a 150-yard, like three-touchdown game would probably be enough to for for a good flip. Um, you'll see, you could see his prices like just about two x just just off of that. If you're looking to to strictly flip, if it's a lesser known player, like especially if it's just if it's just like a rookie, like like let's say you were in a break and you got this cool, I don't know, some rookie auto of a guy who. You probably don't feel great about 10 years down the line, but maybe they might have a couple good years in the league. And um, if if they get maybe if they have a two touchdown game and they maybe if they surprise the hell out of the fantasy community out of a two touchdown game out of nowhere, maybe for somebody like them, it might not be a bad idea to flip because during that Chase Claypool four touchdown game, when when he had two touchdowns, I was already considering putting that card up and then he had the third one and then I put it up. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it depends on the player. Um, but for probably the more safe investment, because I mean, guys, especially if it's like a younger, younger player or somebody who's kind of on, on their way out in their career, it could maybe somebody like a Marvin Jones, they might not have a three touchdown game left in them. Or, um, if it's a rookie and they're and they're super unproven and they're not even, um, in the starting lineup. They might not have the opportunity to score, have a three touchdown game, so um, it's probably wisest to just make sure that the guy that you're that you're putting your money into already has some sort of relevance in cardboard now before they before they play a single game for the next season. So, as Jesse has said before. You can look at other skill position players, not just quarterbacks. In this case, talking about wide receivers, go prospect players right now. We're still in a in a lull. We're still not at the point where team, you know, we're post draft now. We're not at the point where you know teams have necessarily gotten together or any hype has been building around any of these number of names that we've said in the past. Whether it's a Paris Campbell or you know someone like that, there's all these names out there of all these players that are still floating around, and even better names than that that you can buy up today and prepare yourselves for tomorrow when inevitably you run into the guy that can't keep his hands off Marvin Jones and you're holding on to a Travis Fulgham card and you've got it listed ready to sell. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, you just have to you you have to have those cards uh if you're looking at it from strictly a flip perspective and you if you're look, really looking at it from this case where oh I'm gonna wait to to post this when when a guy has three touchdowns, and you're watching. Let's say you know COVID kind of clears up this year more or less, and you're able to watch football with your buddies, or if you're at this if you're if you're at a stadium, um, if if the stadium close by to your house allows fans, 
Um, you want to make sure that you have that you first of all you're staying up to date, and second, um, that you actually have the card, like the pictures of the card on your phone. Like you, you want to be able to list that in eBay in like thirty seconds. Like just, just because people, like people have especially like buyers and, and guys that, that because there are plenty of people in the card hobby that just buy buy high and sell low, believe it or not. Um, people have very short memories and uh, you have to like, maybe by the next day, people aren't going to be thinking about Marvin Jones anymore. People aren't going to be thinking about rookie X anymore after that performance. They, they tend to think about it on game day. So you have to have, you have to have that card ready to be listed at a moment's notice. I love it, man. It's good advice. Don't be the guy who buys high and sells low. That's not what the listeners of this show do or ever will do. Jesse, thank you again for fantastic contributions to this episode. Everybody else, we will be back next week on Clear the Cash. <laughs> <laughs>